0: Today I'll be reading for you and preaching for you the conclusion, the the last portion of Hebrews chapter 13, verses um, 20 through 25. Hear now the word of God. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Faith comes from hearing, In hearing the word of Christ, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good word, this benediction, this salutation, this exhortation and encouragement for us to hold tightly to the hope that we see in Jesus Christ, to remember these words that have been given to us and been given to your people From generation to generation, for centuries to centuries, may we too hold tightly to Jesus Christ by holding on to his word and to hold on to his people. Help us, Father, to live this out in our minds and our hearts, in our hands and our feet, and may we proclaim praises to you as we live out our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you have Bibles that have the little, I would say most of you, if you have Bibles, have these little descriptions of what the paragraph or paragraphs ahead is focused on. In this particular case, in verse 20, your Bible will likely say the word benediction. And then you have a paragraph, which is actually the benediction that we've been using all month, and um, it'll be the last time we use it for this particular series, and then We'll probably see this benediction again. It's a very popular benediction that has been used in the church uh, for many centuries. And then you see a close, a final greeting. And a lot of times, you know, when you're writing a letter, you'll have the beginning of the letter has a salutation. And then at the end, when you sign off, usually with a very popular, sincerely or best wishes or whatever that you may use. You may notice in my emails, a lot of times I'll just have the word rejoice Um, It's a salutation, again, to close this particular letter um, of the book of the Bible that we have that's a letter to the Hebrews. And in a sense, it seems like it's a lot of formality. Um, A benediction, after you've heard it many times, seems like a formality. And formalities are a formal way to do something that's very important And it's kind of sad that a lot of times when we do something that's very formal, that it becomes rote and not so much as important, even though the purpose of it is for it to be very important. And so as we close out this particular book in the Bible, and we get ready to start another one sometime soon, um, I hope that you didn't turn off uh, when I was reading that particular close. Because... I know you've heard it a lot. You've heard it a lot already this particular month because it's been a part of our benediction for this particular month. But I hope that now going into it and maybe preaching a sermon on it, that it will be truly a good word to you that will not only help feed you and shape you and encourage you and do all the things that it was meant to do, but that it will also help you to take a moment um, whenever you hear a benediction. Um, When you worship here or worship somewhere else, um, there are often in many different churches, it's a very common thing for a minister at the end of a service um, and sometimes even in the beginning of the service to give a benediction. Sometimes I've seen these at funerals. Sometimes I've seen them at um, weddings and sometimes even in just a blessing for a meal. It is a wonderful thing to have a good word. Its meant, Its purpose is to be a blessing to the recipient. And sometimes you'll see, um, I know that when I'm doing it, I'm actually doing this, which is a common way for ministers to basically, I'm giving you all the word. I'm praying for God's blessings upon you, but you will see people who have their hands out. And it is a way to receive what you're hearing it's it's mentally a posture that's helping your it's a physical posture that's helping you mentally to receive the word that you're hearing and in a sense that's what we should always be doing whenever we hear God's word our heart should be open like that but it's a formal way to posture ourselves and so as I've already mentioned and it's already interwoven in there a benediction means good word it actually means well speak and so it's, it means good diction, good words, a good word. And historically, it is meant to be even type of prayer. It's giving a gift of a word that's rooted um, or actually is the actual reading of God's word. And it's meant to be a prayer at the same time. It's asking God to in, put these words upon the recipient. And that it may do its good thing to the recipient. And this particular benediction and salutation, it's kind of overlapping the very idea. It is the very thing that it's saying that it is by saying that it is what it is. It is telling you that this is the reality of the goodness of what Jesus is and that what Jesus gives is a good word. And then it's giving you a salutation, a salute, to greet, to end with a greeting. And it's telling you to greet others, to salute others. And so the very purpose of it is the very thing that it's doing. It's, it's repeating itself in form and in actual words. So salutation, I want to take a little bit of a moment, because the whole thing's a salutation, The whole thing is a benediction. It's a good word that's meant to be a salutation, a close to the letter. What word is in the word salutation? Kids, you know I like to play this a lot because when you think about these words that sometimes they just kind of pass by, I love breaking down words, especially if there are some certain Latin roots because it helps you really grasp the word more thoroughly. Like benediction means good word, so, what would salutation? What word is inside of salutation? Salute. salute. What do you think of when you hear the word salute? What comes to mind? What's that? The army, the military, right? Some people probably not as commonly hear. It, but I hear it a little bit in people's. Um, in, in their language here, but I hear this more maybe in other countries. But sometimes when people say salute, they're it's like a toast, right? I you, salute you. You know, or the, I salute you, right? And, and, and sometimes instead of saying cheers, you say salute. In fact, I don't know if, what what is that. Is that French that says that? Or you, you hear that actually cheers and salute are are kind of combined. I want to read the definition. The U.S. Department. Uh, it's not so much a definition, but it's a description of saluting when there's a a handbook by the U.S. Department of Defense to teach people about saluting. It says, one required act of military courtesy is the salute. Regulations governing its use are founded on military custom deeply rooted in tradition. The salute is a symbol of respect and a sign of comradeship amongst service personnel. The salute is simple, and dignified, but there is great significance in that gesture. It is a time-honored demonstration of courtesy among all military personnel that expresses mutual respect and a pride in the service. Never resent or try to avoid saluting persons entitled to receive the salute. Now, as you may know, if you're in the military and if you fail to salute especially a superior officer or any really in any particular time, there can be punishment for that. Um, One of our favorite movies is uh, Master and Commander, and because of the failure to to salute someone respectfully in that particular movie, there was a very drastic whipping of the the people who did not do this, and it was a very um, loud communication and instruction to everyone on the ship that you must show that kind of respect, And it was difficult for these particular people because they are having a really hard time respecting this particular superior. Um, But a lot of times, and you'll see this more so in Britain than you see here, it's not just the person that you're showing respect to, it's what's behind that. It's the office and what the office is built in. Now for our country, we have a constitution And we have values and we have a common goal. And inside of that, whenever you have an officer, you are swearing allegiance to the Constitution. You're also swearing allegiance to the military branch that you're working in and to the common goal that you have. And so when you have a superior and you are told to salute them, it is actually you're saluting everything that they represent and in Britain, you're actually to be thinking of the king or the queen. And a lot of times there's actually direct reference to that. God save the king, or they'll say references a lot about the king. So you'll have people who are coming on behalf of the king. So their particular office is not their office in of themselves for their own glory, but they're pointing to the king. And so this formality that saluting has is a very serious one because it has to do with their commitment to the overarching calls that they have together. It is also showing respect to their comrade that is also in this common fight with them, but it is pointing more so to the very foundations on which their common goals are in. So when we think about a salutation and when we're thinking about this particular good word salute to the recipients of this letter, which are the Hebrew Christians, we are to not look at this as just some kind of non-important formality. It's actually an exhortation for us. It's a, thankfully, because it is a part of the canon of scripture and it is an inspired word of God, It's an exhortation to us, not just to the Christians here in this particular circumstance. What we're actually doing is hearing something more important than that description of that handbook I just read by the U.S. Department of Defense. If you all were to join the military, you would want to read that particular paragraph and you would take it very seriously. And as soon as you became a part of that branch of the military, you would know, you would want to know exactly how to do the salute. You know, there's different ways to do it. There's all kinds of different ways. I've been reading about salutes and I was, there's no one way to do it. It's amazing. In the Navy, they have one It's kind of like this. You look like you're, you're tipping your hat because it's an idea of t- lifting up your hat. If you watch Master and Commander, you see them do this kind of thing. It's like they're pinching something. The whole idea is that they're, they're holding a hat the origination of the whole idea of putting your hand up here goes back to, the, nights, to uh, the times of the nights where people had armor on and they had to remove their helmet up a bit so they could see and you could just see the other person. You're exposing yourself, but you're also showing forth your eyes and so you're lifting up your helmet. You're also lifting out your hand is one way to salute so that you could be showing people that you're not armed, ready to fight, that you're actually giving a gesture of peace. There's all kinds of different symbols that have to do with saluting, and there's all kinds of different types of salutes, and a lot of times they're wanting to expose their hand and make reference toward the eyes because it's a very personal and a very serious sign of respect. And what we're being told to do here as we receive this good word salute is to be those who receive the good word, but also the very salutation, the very salute is an admonishment to us to greet and salute others. This is actually something for us to do. It's a very application. It's like the good word is telling us about the king, and it's telling us how to live respectfully in service to the king. And so it's very important that we take on this almost military-esque mindset because it is an idea of understanding the kingdom of God. And so a lot of the things that you see in Britain are actually built upon that. It's just not some cool idea that they came up with. They have rooted inside of that a very biblical principle And it's a principle that we ought to have in our mind, because I think it's a principle that the church needs to hear today. It's one, we need to hear the good word. We need to be encouraged. We need to have an understanding of the reality of Christ's kingdom. We also need to have a reality check toward an understanding of our calling to each other as comrades in the faith. So let's look at this particular passage and look at this good word and this salutation. And with the mindset that I've hopefully created a stage in, let's look, number one, at titles. When we think about the military, often we hear rank and titles. Inside of this good word, this benediction, there are four titles that are being referred to about God. And it's very important that we remember these particular titles about God. The very first one in verse 20 there is that God is the God of peace. That is a tremendously encouraging good word for us to hear. That the God that we serve, that the God that is in command, that the God that has all of the kingdom placed before the feet of his son is the God of peace. It's not the God of war. It's not the God of chaos. It's the God of peace. And when we think about going into this Advent season, That's one of the things that we'll hear in the passages, that the angels came and proclaimed that what is about to be done in the Son, that the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the work that he's accomplishing is going to bring peace between God and man. And this is how he is defining himself. And when we think about God, it's important for us to think of him as the one who brings about peace. Because a lot of times when we are wrestling, when we are struggling, when things aren't going our way, Satan, I believe, comes and tempts us to think of God as being a killjoy, a burden, that he's harassing us, and that he is an oppressor. Now, we know that the Bible speaks that God is also a man of war, he is a warrior. But just like when we think of peacemakers, when we think of police, and I even know that there's a certain kind of gun that I've seen before that the nickname was peacemaker, that there is this element that to make peace, there has to be war, or there will be war in the making of peace. And we know ultimately in the narrative of Jesus Christ that there had to be violence for there to be peace. But the title and the primary focus And the great delight of our God is that he is a God of peace. And so as the writer to the Hebrews was given this good word, he was saying, now may the God of peace do this for you. Then we also see, as it says, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, our second title that we see that this God, that this authority is an authority. He is the Lord Jesus. When we are posture before this God of peace, we need to understand that he is a God of authority. And he has set forth his commands. He has set forth his ways. He is the king. It says that we've already read in the passages that we read in our, our uh, scripture reading today is that all things have been placed under the feet of Jesus Christ. He is king and if he is truly the king of all things the salutes that we are called to do as his church the posture that we are to have and the respect that we are to have toward him and toward his people are more important than the formalities that we may see in britain more important than the formalities that we see the military practicing but do we really think that way as a church do you greet one another when you see each other? When you see each other, if we were going to some kind of military event and you were a part of the military, one, you would think about how you were dressed and you would think about how you were postured and you'd think about your salute and it would take a lot of focus and you would know that there's tremendous respect here. Now, I'm not asking us to all come marching into the church building next Sunday and have these kind of salutes, but do we take our interaction with other people in the church, with even half of the respect that we see that we should be having here, that the military has with one another. We should understand that this, uh, this respect that we have is toward our Lord Jesus Christ, that there is a real and active authority that is presently in place that should have an effect on our lives today. The third thing that we see here in verse 20 is that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is a shepherd. He's not just a God of peace, he's not just one who is in authority, but he has an active way of how he administers that authority in a loving and caring way like a shepherd has over the sheep. When you think about shepherds, it's a very unique role. It's not just a figurehead of authority that's holding on to a staff. It is someone who is vested to put tremendous care for the good of the sheep. If the sheep were all dead and ragged and starving at the end of their time in the pasture, then the shepherd has failed. Our shepherd... Our king, our God of peace, is one who has us in view for our good when he is shepherding us. He is taking care of us. And we see those even again. I want you to go back and read those passages from our lectionary reading today about that shepherd and how that shepherd works. And we see that he protects and he separates the sheep from the goats. We see here in this passage that he equips his sheep with good. How does he equip his sheep with good? Well, one is the benediction, the good word. It is a good word that we receive. He feeds us by his word. And we see that with Jesus's temptation in the wilderness that he responds to Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from from God's mouth. And so we know that the good shepherd is going to feed his sheep with a good word, which is a revelation of his will. And it is for the purposes of his will. And inside of his will and his word is a description of the church and what the church should be actively involved in. And he has equipped his church, His church, we see in Ephesians chapter 4, with under-shepherds. We talked about that last week. So we see that we have the great shepherd. He's not the under-shepherd. He is the superior shepherd of the sheep that gives and equips his sheep with a good word, and with good ways of administering that word through his under-shepherds. Then we also see that he is working in us. He is working in us a change. He is transforming us. He is shaping us. He is nourishing us. He is encouraging us. He is strengthening us. And when that happens, that work that is manifested in us is an outpouring of the work for his whole church. And we see that this is something, as it says here, that gives him pleasure. It pleases him to see the transformative work of God's word in our life. And it should please us when we see it happen to other people. That when we see what God's word is doing to people, we shouldn't just go, well, that's nice. It's about time they finally got their act together. No, it should please us that God loves us so that he changes us and he feeds us and he nourishes us. It should encourage you. It should encourage you when you are being transformed. When you see in your life and you, think, you start thinking, you know, I think differently. I feel differently. This has impacted my life. His pleasure should become our pleasure. And so when we are postured toward his sheep, we should also see in our life a life of prayer and concern, that we would be praying for each other, not only that people are getting better from their sicknesses and that people are being able to make it through their surgeries and their medical procedures, but we should be praying for all of God's sheep to see that transformative work inside of them, to see the Spirit, the God of peace, working in their life. So those are the title. And lastly, we see there in that same benediction that we see that Jesus is called the Christ. And the Christ, we, we, a lot of times we hear it all the time, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. We know you know, a lot of times there's even comedians that talk about how it's Jesus' last name, but it's his title. His title is that he is the Messiah embedded in that name, Christ, is embedding all of these things. He is the promised one. He is the fulfilled one. He is the savior. He is our hope and he is our king. He is the authority. He is all of the things that are encompassed in that word Christ. And we should remember that when we think about the titles of where this good word is coming from. This should surpass any good word that we would hear from anyone. So those are the titles, God's four particular titles in this particular good word. But inside of that same benediction, there are also four different points of our confession of faith. In fact, all of the primary confessions of our faith are inside of this benediction. I wanted to highlight these because I think when we hear this benediction over and over again, again, I think it's easy to miss them out. The first one that we see there in verse 20 is the highlighting of his resurrection. We know that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if in Christ we have hope, excuse me, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is so essential to our faith and our confession of faith. There are a lot of people who like to preach about Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people who give respect to, to what Jesus taught and the things that he did or at least their understanding or their even maybe their misrepresentation of who Jesus is. A lot of people have taken Jesus and they've reshaped him into his own image but if there is not the resurrection then there is no hope at all. I know one time at a christmas celebration not too long ago there was a lot of talk about jesus in that which was very good but during the whole presentation i never heard anything about the resurrection that he was a good and wonderful man who who died for his people who taught wonderful things and it drove me crazy i actually interrupted at the very end and raised my hand and i may have made some enemies and i said don't forget that jesus was raised from the dead and that he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, reigning over all of the earth. He's not just some legend for us to have that. And if it is the way that people are focused on Jesus, then it says here, if we are only focused on Christ in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So we've seen the very beginning of this benediction that now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. And then secondly, we have the focus of the crucifixion. Paul says that I preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. It says that the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. It is here in that one phrase, blood of the eternal covenant, that we are not only reminded of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but we are reminded of our justification. This is what seals it for us. That blood of the covenant is what gives us hope to have that peace. It is why we can say that we have a God of peace because he has sent his son to die in our place so that there could be peace between God and man. And then we see the work that he is doing, that the work that comes from the cross, the work that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension and the reign of Jesus Christ is now saying that from this great Lord Jesus, he is equipping us with every good thing, every good that we may do his will, working in us, if you can kind of think of it as like needing in us, like pressing into us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That is our sanctification. So we have resurrection. We have the crucifixion and the justification. We have our sanctification, but it does not just stop there. It says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This particular work of Jesus Christ will be brought to a final and full glory. This is all for His glory. This sanctification, this work that He's doing in us, is not just a continuation of working; it is actually a progression of working, bringing His people, bringing His church, to a final place of glorification. RC Sproul, he—I've um, seen him do this in a couple of a couple of times, but in his conferences, he would refer to a particular thing that he would do in his seminary classes, where he would have three people come up, and I'm not going to do that here, I'm not that bold, and this is not the appropriate place, but he would do this um, teaching uh, for us to help us understand the the distinction between justification and sanctification And glorification, what he would do is he'd have three people come up, and I watched it recently. If you Google uh, sanctification, justification, R.C. Sproul, you'll see this. He actually um, calls three people to come up. He has his grandson, Campbell Sproul, comes up and he says, you're going to represent Jesus. Now, kind of a cool thing, just a kind of a side note, Campbell Sproul used to worship in this building back when um, R.C. Jr. Um, was a part, a pastor um, that was a part of this church. But anyway, he had Campbell Sproul come up and he says, you get to represent Jesus. This is the finest moment you've ever had um, because you get to represent who is Jesus Christ. And then he had another friend of his who was named um, uh, Guy Rizzo, who was a guy that he led to the Lord, a lost pagan guy that he led to the Lord at a golf club uh, came up and he says, you get to represent Hitler. And so you had Hitler over here. He and so you had Hitler represented by Guy Rizzo. You had Jesus being represented by Campbell Sproul. And then he asked Steve Lawson to come up, who Steve Lawson was a student of his in seminary. And I know that the, 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 the the Peters are very familiar with Steve Lawson. He had him come up, and he was going to represent the Apostle Paul. He said that if all the people who were, were the most faithful people in the world, apart from Jesus Christ, R.C. said he believes that the Apostle Paul was probably the most sanctified man that ever lived. And so he had Steve Lawson in, you know, up on the stage. And so you had Hitler, you had Paul, and you had Jesus Christ. He says, now when we're thinking about justification, and you think about the justification of Paul and all Christians, the identity of Paul is right here with Jesus. But in the current time, when he took Steve Lawson by the shoulder, he said, but as we work out the sanctification, and where we're at in living our life, it's more he's a lot closer to Hitler. (laughs) But the great thing is, is that as he is working in him, and and a lot of the things that we'll see will only be in this kind of realm where there's very small distance between Paul and Hitler in the working out of sanctification, but where God is taking his people, where God is taking his church, is to be all the way over here in the glorification of Jesus Christ. And so those are the the three places. And when we think about that, it helps us to to know how to go to the word of God and understand where we're at in our life. Our identity is there. Our current life of sanctification may look a lot more like Hitler than it does with, with Jesus Christ. It should start becoming more and more separate from that. But we're not there. But one day, his people will be all the way there and we will also be glorified. It is one of the things that he promises us in, our, in his word that we will also receive that same glorification. And so our mind is then that not already, that already but not yet, our identity is there. We see Jesus there and God is working us in that sanctification and so that should help us, one, to have a hopefulness, but also as we're, as we're struggling, as we're dealing with our sin, Because Satan will, a lot of times, he'll say, look, you don't look anything like Jesus. You might as well give up. You're not even a part of him. You look a lot more like Hitler. And it's like, yeah, I do. I still have sin in my heart. I am much more similar to Hitler when it comes to the sin that still resides in me. But my identity is here, and God is bringing me there, and he promises me that I will be here one day. So it's a very good way for us to think about where our life is and what our identity is, but also where our destination is going to be. And it's all wrapped up in this good word, this benediction. We see the resurrection, the crucifixion and justification of our lives is right there. Our sanctification, but also our future glorification as we consider the glory of Jesus Christ. And then he says... The writer to the Hebrews says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Now, that's an interesting term. You might think, well, it seems kind of long. It actually, the book of Hebrews is in the middle of all 66 books of the Bible. It is around 31 in its ranking of being the longest book of the Bible. You have up there, you have Genesis, you have... Uh, you might know what the, the most, the, the longest book of the Bible is, the biggest, most, has the most words. One of the Peter boys is named this. Jeremiah. Jeremiah actually has more words in it than the book of Genesis. And then you have the Psalms that have a lot of words in it. And then you get into the epistles and they are kind of down there. In fact, Hebrews is probably one of the top three of the longest epistles. If you count First and Second Corinthians as one, then it would be the third longest epistle. But what we have here, in, at least in the exhortation through the benediction, it is very brief. And in a sense, this, how it all combines all of these things in the book of Hebrews, it is very brief. But he's telling us to bear with it, to bear with my word of exhortation. And that's kind of an interesting thing. It's kind of like striving to enter rest, we see earlier on. This word bear is more akin to wrestling. It's really more akin to suffering with or to have to struggle with. It's actually encouraging us to wrestle with this exhortation and the Greek word for exhortation is actually encouragement or consolation so this benediction that is being given to us this good word that is being given to us he's saying that you're going to have to kind of wrestle with it you're going to have to discipline yourself in it you're going to have to put it on and 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 get into it and carry it it's not going to be just an easy thing for us to hear We're going to have to, because again, we have have to remember where we're at in our sanctification and how we're still struggling with sin in the flesh. And so he's encouraging as as he finishes this with a salutation, finishing this letter to take all of these words and to wrestle with them, to take it on, but to get into the fight with these words. And then we see this salutation turn into a salute. It says, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. We see here this, it seems all of a sudden it kind of breaks away from this this grand picture, this great reality, but in a sense, it is the very timely place for him to instruct for you to remember a particular brother, Timothy, who obviously would have been at one time in prison for some reason. He was, he was a captive. He was a prisoner. And we've already seen in today's reading of the scriptures that we are to remember those who are in prison. This is a calling for us to be remembering those who are in prison or who are in jail, who are, who are captives, So it's making it very real to these particular Christians that you should know that our brother Timothy has been released. And so we have this exhortation that we should know about each other. Now, it seems very trite, but a lot of times we don't know what the other person is going through. Now, we hear about people. We hear about the persecuted church, which we need to be praying about. And it's definitely something that we're called to be doing is to be thinking about those who are persecuted or who those are in prison throughout the world that are in prison particularly for their faith and we're also to be thinking about people who are who are captive to their own sins and to their own challenges in life but a lot of times we need to just know what the other people are struggling with and so the admonition that we have here in this salute is that one we are to know about others And if we know about others, we know how to pray for others. If the reality is that Jesus Christ is king, that he is Lord, that he is shepherd, that he is a God of peace, and that he is going to be glorified, our response to that is when we think about the body of Christ and we think about the good word that he's given us is that we are to be praying for one another. And to be praying for one another means that we need to know one another and this is why the local church is so important for us is because to know one another you need to have some kind of proximity to each other and you need to have a life with each other we can know about other people in other places and it's good to know about other people in other places but you can't really know people as well unless you're walking with them and talking with them and praying with them and here This very practical seems like it's just kind of like wrapping up some things, but it's not just wrapping up some things. It's as important to us as a very formalized salute. We should know, you should know that your brother Timothy has been released. So they should be praying and thanking God and praying for things for Timothy and maybe his recovery. Maybe he didn't eat very well. Maybe he was sick when he was in prison. There Maybe a lot of things encompassing this whole concept of him being released. And then he says, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. So inside of that very trite little bit of information, we see that number one, we are to know things about one another but also we are seeing that we're going to see each other, that we should be encouraged to be seen by each other, that we get to see each other. He's saying that Timothy, hopefully if he gets out soon enough, he'll be with me when I get to see you. And then we were reminded what he tells us here in this particular exhortation, not to forsake the gathering of the assembly of his people. We need to know each other. We need to see each other. And then in verse 24, it says, greet. If you go to the greet, that word greet has the same weight as salute. Imagine if it was translated like that. Salute all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy, they salute you. They are pointing to the authority that is the reality of their hope of having a God in peace and encouraging one another and showing respect for one another, showing camaraderie with one another by saluting each other. When you gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is a a real admonition I'm giving you as a pastor, Greet one another. Take the time. We do it as a formality at the end of our prayer time when we come together in our prayer time, but then we also do it as we see each other. Go and greet one another. Remember that the Bible is telling us this is not just some kind of formality. It's an instruction for us to go and to connect and to greet and to show a salute. Here in this day and age, our salute's really simple. We shake each other's hands or we give each other hugs or some guys like to give each other fist pumps bumps bumps. or real bumps. (laughs) That counts too. I think it's a way to connect and to remind each other that we are together in the name of Jesus Christ, who is a real authority, a real King, a living and active King And we are showing respect to the king by greeting one another and receiving greetings from each other. It says here to greet your leaders and all the saints. We know that we have particular leaders and we have people in our own lives. We have the saints that we are connected to, but then we immediately see this universality, this Catholic, that's what the word Catholic means, is universal, this broader body of believers that we're also to be mindful of. And when we have opportunities, we should connect with them as well and to greet them and to show them that same kind of respect. Now, if you go back and read that Matthew passage that Richard read this morning, which is something I've already referenced in this sermon series, when it's talking about how You treated me, Jesus saying you treated me when I was in prison, when I was sick, and when I was naked. We need to also remember that Jesus finds it very important, and we see it in the exhortation of his word, how we treat each other when we're well, (laughs) when we're not in prison, when we're not naked, and when we're not sick. We need to practice there. I greeted some of you today, and I was like, how is your family? And it's so good to hear. I don't think I talked to anyone that said that they had any immediate family that was extremely sick. know, we, no, we have prayer requests for extended family here and there. But to the most part, I think most of us made it through Thanksgiving generally well. And that's a, that's a blessing. But we should still greet each other, and we should still even be an encouragement to each other. Don't wait until we're on our back <laughs> to be greeting one another and saluting one another in the Lord. And then he says simply, Grace be with all, with you all. When we look at this whole two paragraphs, two very simple paragraphs, what we see is that God is the God of grace and peace. All of the things that we see in the good word, the benediction, When it talks about the resurrection, the crucifixion, which is our justification, when we consider our sanctification and our future glorification, all of that is grace. Every bit of that is grace for us. All of that is his love for us, which brings us to a place of peace. When we think about this call in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, which I think is probably maybe the theme verse for the whole book of Hebrews it says let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need that Jesus sits on a throne of grace everything that he is doing is based upon this love and this grace that he has given to his people And we are called to draw near. And we draw near to him by remembering his good word, remembering his people, and greeting Jesus Christ by one being in his word, listening to Jesus Christ and submitting unto him and living that out with one another. We see there in verse 22 of this last chapter of Hebrews, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, We are brothers of Christ and we are brothers and sisters to each other because of that great title that we get to have as brothers of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 it says, But we see him for a little while while he was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We are again reminded to think about Jesus Christ crowned with glory and honor, reigning with glory and honor because he suffered and gave us grace and established peace for us. And therefore, we are those who are recipients of that grace and that encouragement and strength. In Hebrews 10 Verses 28 through 29, we are reminded that anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. Think about that terminology, outrage the spirit of grace. When we think about the reality of Jesus Christ as sitting on his throne, he has accomplished and is ruling over all things. He has the greatest authority of anyone that we can imagine. And here he is now telling us that he has given us his spirit, the spirit of grace, and we show disrespect to the blood of the covenant, but not being in his word we show disrespect to the body of Christ by not greeting one another as we are called to greet one another in peace and grace, then that outrages the spirit of grace. If we are to live as those, and I I get it, I know that some people, because of where the the health of the, the broader church is today, there are a lot of Christians who are living like guerrilla fighters out there. They have no authority in their life, they have no discipline in their life, but they truly do believe in Jesus Christ, and they're trying to—they're—they're they're, they're trying to make their way, and—and—and and, and I don't want to judge those people as being particularly purposefully and mindfully in sin. But they're aimless, you know. They don't really know. They don't know God's word very well, and they don't know about the church, and they don't—they're not a part of the church. And I look at them as kind of like guerrilla fighters. But when when God's army comes in and his word and his command and his instructions, when his orders have been placed before us in God's word and we see the structure of the church, which is his army, and it says, okay, now become a part of this army of the kingdom of God. And if we go, you know, I think I'd just rather be a guerrilla fighter. Jesus, you and your army, you go have at it. I've been doing just fine being a guerrilla soldier. That's disrespectful. That is tremendously disrespectful. It's like, you know what, I don't think I, I don't, I'm not really, I'm not really military. It, you know, it's just not my thing. I'm gonna do my thing, you do your thing. Well, I would say that's likened to trampling underfoot the Son of God and outraging the spirit of Grace. And so if we don't greet one another, when we've now been given the exhortation to greet one another in the name of Jesus Christ, in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ, we should greet each other and salute each other and be in each other's lives. Because we're told in Hebrews chapter 13, 9, it says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. This is God's grace. Why would we reject the command of our king? Then in Hebrews 12, 14 through 15, it says, strive for peace with everyone for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God by letting a root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. We are to be those who are also people of grace and peace by being those who are forgiving of one another, remembering that we are going to look a lot more like Hitler than we're going to look like Jesus in our time of sanctification, but remembering where our identity is and where we are going and remembering what Jesus has done to give us that grace and that peace with him. Let us pray.